0: You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. And this morning, we're going to be looking together at chapter 3 and reading the first 13 verses. You'll find this on page 992. You'll find 1 Timothy, we ask this, in Now may your spirit give us an extra measure of grace so that we might handle your inspired and infallible word rightly. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. And this morning, we're going to be looking together at chapter 3 and reading the first 13 verses. You'll find this on page 992 of the Pew Bible. We're reading together this morning, First Timothy chapter 3, and we'll read the first 13 verses. Hear the word of God. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. One of the offices which Jesus himself executes in both his humiliation and his exaltation is that of a king. As an omnipotent sovereign, he is actively ruling all aspects of his kingdom. He may be physically present in heaven, but he is fully involved on earth. And by his word and spirit, he continues to call sinners out of the world to himself. He reigns in our hearts and lives. He rules by love and he governs by grace. And he does this in part through those officers that he's appointed in the church. By means of elders and deacons, ordinary men like all of us, ordinary people. The Lord Jesus visibly governs and serves his people. The elders of the church have been called by God to shepherd the flock. As Peter says, I exhort exhort the elders among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight willingly, eagerly, being examples to the flock. Deacons Are men called by God to serve the flock and promote the saints joy. The Greek word translated deacon is used many times in the New Testament. Matthew 23, for example, the greatest among you shall be your deacon, your servant. Same word. And Jesus himself is the greatest deacon of all time. Utterly perfect. So by means of these two offices, Christ visibly governs and he preserves and he supports his people. And it should come as no surprise that Jesus is not indifferent to which people serve. They will be guiding and governing and serving the very bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. What parent here would entrust his or her children to untrustworthy nannies? Christ shed his very blood to redeem the church. To whom is he going to entrust the church? He is keenly interested in the character of those whom he appoints to office in the church. And that's why he lays out certain qualifications, necessary qualifications, in the word of God. These are prerequisites to office. These are traits that must be in evidence to some degree. And it's incumbent on us as God's people to be acquainted with these qualifications. Our Lord is pleased not only to work through officers, but to enlist our consent. Isn't that amazing? What a privilege it is to be involved in the administration of his kingdom. And at the same time, I have to say that he holds us responsible for electing qualified officers, you and I. The privilege of a congregation is to choose those who will serve and govern. It's a power that nobody can take away from the church without violating the word of God. We get to choose. But it also comes with great responsibility and the welfare of the church is at stake. So when we're called to exercise this privilege, it's important for us to consider briefly the qualifications. First of all, the persons being considered for church office must be men. Now we all know that this is very unpopular in our culture and it's rejected by many. You've heard things like, well, it denies women's equal rights. It suppresses the female gifts. It deprives them of opportunities but that's just not true. Let's not confuse holding office with our standing with God and our serving in the church. All Christians, every one of them, regardless of gender or age or race, are equal in God's sight. And any believer may serve the body. In fact, all believers should serve the body. The gifts bestowed by the Holy Spirit can be used whether you're in or out of office. It makes no difference. And there are plenty of opportunities to serve. You don't have to have an office. Indeed, an unordained man is in the same position as an unordained woman. We restrict office to men simply because the word of God tells us to. I tried to find it. I couldn't confirm this. But a man I respect said, supposedly, that Martin Luther declared, if the Lord told me to eat a pile of dung, I would do it. Now it's gross, but his point was this, if the word of God says it, we do it because it's the word of God. And for reasons known only to him, he's confined ordination in the church to men. First, they're to be the husbands of one wife, male spouses. Second, Paul gives explicit instruction on restricting, on restricting ecclesiastical office. He says, Look, Timothy, I don't permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. In the church, they must not occupy office or lead in public worship. And according to Paul, this reflects the order of creation and the events of the fall. Let me read that for you Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, Paul is not a woman hater. Euodius and Syntyche were his fellow workers. He loved them dearly. He affirmed their equal value and their dignity. He even said that in Christ Jesus, there is neither male nor female. He's not demeaning women. Quite simply, he's saying that there are some roles that are simply reserved for men. Elsewhere, he explains that members of the body have different functions. So, any person being considered for office in the church must be a man. Second, preliminary matter is that he must be seasoned in the faith. And this means he has to be a Christian, (laughs) he has to embrace the gospel. He must have placed his trust in Jesus Christ and walked with him consistently. And to the point, a recent convert is not equipped to handle temptations. Now, this is a very important issue. It's not one to pass over lightly. If the highest ranking angel and a third of the angelic hosts fell through pride, what is man that he can resist? Solomon says in Proverbs twenty-seven twenty-one, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and a man is tested by his praise. We might have thought by his hardships. No, by his praise. And many would agree that it's far more difficult to handle praise than to deal with reproach. We are by nature prone to seek preeminence. We are innately proud. You know that as well as I do. And the temptations to pride are difficult even for seasoned Christians to resist. So it almost goes without saying that new converts are no match for the devil. King Jesus can preserve them, and he does. But they have to be shielded for a while. And tested. We guard them against an exaggerated view of their own importance. They should walk with Christ for a while, be tested, and then let them serve. Is their judgment sound? Is their life balanced? Is their soul sincere in faith? These are good questions. Third, preliminary matter is this whole notion of thorough examination. Only those should be ordained to office whom God has called. Well, how is a candidate in the church to know without examining them? A man has to examine himself, first of all, to see if there's an inward desire for the work. And then the person has to be evaluated by his brethren to confirm the call. Titus, you'll remember, was to appoint men to office who distinguished themselves You observe, you watch. Are they distinguishing themselves? The church was to be on the lookout for men who stood out. And then the elders would formally examine them and render an informed judgment as to their suitability. And finally, if favorable, they would stand for election. The final stage in the call to office. That's what's going to happen today. King Jesus will exercise his authority through the church appointing men to office, and this congregation today will exercise God-given discernment in doing so. It's an amazing process. And I remind you that this is not meant to be a popularity contest. This is not junior high. It's a serious matter. We're going to briefly consider the qualifications, and I mean briefly, And believers have to be guided by the word and their own conscience as they vote. So there are personal, private, and public qualifications. Personally, the man has to be sober-minded, self-controlled, peaceable, essential traits. Without them, he's going to damage the bride of Christ. Sober-mindedness refers to maturity gravity, seriousness about eternal things. And view is the glory of his king to whom he's going to give an account. That's a sobering thought for any officer. And in his mind must be the needs of those sheep that he's called to serve. And if he is suitable, if he respects the majesty of his king, if he's aware of the needs of his flock, then elect him to office. Both the faith and his service he takes seriously because he knows what's at stake. At the end of this pilgrimage, every one of us, at the end lies heaven and hell into which all must enter. And there are no other options. There are no other options. Just as there are only two groups in humanity, there are only two destinies. Those who receive and rest upon Jesus Christ for salvation go to heaven. Those who reject and ignore Jesus Christ plunge into the eternal misery of hell. That's it. The Lord Jesus will set the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, and he'll say these will go go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, you can see there are no greater stakes. And an officer feels or should feel the weight of eternal things. Men appointed to these offices will influence the people one way or another. For good or for bad, officers will play a part in the destiny of souls. And so it's of the utmost significance the way that we guide and care for and serve and sympathize. And that's why only those who are called and gifted by God should take on the duties. So how important is it that we recognize and vote only for those whom God calls? Officers must be men of steady temper, Christ-like self-restraint. They must not be violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but peaceable. It's bad enough that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking somebody to devour, let alone officers doing the same thing. He must be sincere, speaking the truth, keeping his word. There's a saying, my grandfather always used to tell me this. My kids are probably sick of hearing me say it in the home. A man or a woman is only as good as his word. The church officer serves a God of truth. Jesus is the truth. How can a man represent Christ if his word cannot be trusted? He has to be a man of integrity. His heart, his words, his actions have to be aligned. And in addition, He must not be controlled or dominated by anything but the Holy Spirit. Whether it be alcohol or drugs or money or lust or dishonest dealing, the Holy Spirit. His life has to be governed by the word as the spirit enlightens his mind. Privately, he must be tested within the home. And this is where he is most intimate and comfortable and free to express himself. That's where his influence is most powerfully felt and that's where its fruit is most closely evaluated, in the home. The Bible says he must be the husband of one wife. It does not mean exclusively one wife throughout life, but it does mean one at a time. For example, if a widower marries again, he's not disqualified as some would interpret that. And of course, under that heading, we have to include marital and sexual fidelity. Our God is a faithful covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises. And any man who aspires to represent as officer in the church must reflect that. I have to tell you a story. Recently, I asked a friend of mine, he's an older gentleman, I think he's about his mid-70s. I asked him, I said, Lou, why don't you attend church? I had built enough rapport with him that I could ask him such a personal question. And Lou told me that when he was a teenager, he heard the adults immediately after worship cutting down and even cursing the minister. And it deeply wounded him as a teenage man, young man. And so he vowed on that day, Never to go back to a place where hypocrisy ruled. (laughs) Now, I encouraged him. I said, Lou, look, we're all hypocrites to a degree. And you're depriving yourself of the ultimate joy. But the point is, what a terrible damage, the duplicity of even the officers in that church inflicted upon that congregation. A man of his word And an officer must manage his household well, keeping it in good order. And more space is allotted to that qualification than to any other. Did you see that? His home. How he manages his home is a good indication of how he serves the church. And the seriousness of this is laid out by Paul to to Timothy. The apostle says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. And stern as those words are, the clearly stated truth is sobering. Isn't it amazing how oftentimes even the unbelieving world does a better job in the home? God entrusts us with family, with relatives, and he's offended when we neglect them. The test of a man's character is more evident here than anywhere. And if he claims to be a Christian but neglects his family, he's denied the faith and he's bound for hell. So by all means, don't elect him to office because he'll destroy the church. And then there are the wives of those men who serve the church as officers. Don't be surprised to find that women, too, must meet qualifications. After all, husband and wife are one flesh, and our wives exert a powerful influence upon us. Janie Cheney in World Magazine said this, A husband and wife are not merely making tracks side by side down life's road. They're making tracks in each other. Over time, the one flesh relationship has profound and lasting effects. And a man will be enhanced or broken by the influence of his wife. I don't know who said this. I'm not even sure I agree with it. But this is what was said. Women will run the church whether or not you give them the office. There's truth. With infinite wisdom, the Holy Spirit laid down certain qualifications for officers' wives. They're to be dignified, not silly or foolish, not slanderers because gossip is hurtful. They're to be sober-minded and serious about the kingdom and faithful in all things. And these women are to be committed, serious, and in control of their tongues and their attitudes. And not only are they a rich blessing to their family, but they will be a tremendous benefit to the church. But then there's not only personal and private, but also public qualifications to gifts or graces that are clearly visible, above reproach, respectable, dignified. You can't be embroiled in scandal. A long time ago, and I'm gonna guess 25 years ago, you can correct me if I'm wrong afterwards, a certain man thought the government had exceeded its authority and for several years he refused to pay his taxes. Not only was he in trouble with the IRS, but he could not be considered for office because it was scandalous. The potential officer has to be a man worthy of respect. His words and his conduct will reflect ultimately upon the Lord Jesus himself. They must be seasoned Christians, tested members, faithful servants of Christ, hospitable, being a friend to all and to everyone. And the opinion of outsiders is important. I'm not saying he compromises, but do you know something? That world can appreciate a man who keeps the second table of the law. They know it. They may disagree with us on the Lord Jesus Christ, but they can respect an honest man. And an officer must respect and care for his neighbor and be well thought of. And last but not least, he has to believe and embrace the faith. (laughs) Certainly not least... He must hold the mystery of the faith, the Christian faith with a clear conscience. And that mystery is the crucified Christ whom God sent to be our Savior. And oh, how important this is. He has to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. God put forward Jesus as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And as an officer, he must have a living, fruitful trust in Christ the Lord. So there you have it. Very briefly, in a nutshell, the qualifications of a man to be considered for office. And on this day, King Jesus is going to exert his regal power in electing new officers. He is pleased to do it through the communicant members of this church. So with prayer and discernment, we vote for those whom God has called. And let me say this, Every man has weaknesses. Every man succumbs to temptation. Every man in this room experiences failure. But in the main, over the habit of their lives, the officer has to have all the qualifications to some degree. We can't expect perfection because if we did, then only Jesus could be the officer. So we should give thanks to Christ our King for granting the church such men. It is a weighty responsibility, one which should never be taken lightly as Elder Van Drunen read, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is happening across the landscape. I'm embarrassed by the clergy because the devil knows the quickest way to destroy the church is to seduce its officers. But Jesus promised that he'll provide his church with good and godly men. So let's rejoice in our King's generous provision of godly candidates, men who've been nominated, trained, examined, and now stand before you. Let's expect to receive faithful watchmen and sympathetic servants from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our great King, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sits at your right hand. The one who reigns and rules visibly in his church by officers whom you've called and equipped. Please give us discernment today as we participate in this great process. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.